So this week, I've been thinking a lot about something that I mentioned two weeks ago, because last week we had mole. I had never had mole before, and it got a little crazy with kids sprinting everywhere, and I didn't really know what to do about that, but we let it happen, and they had a blast, I'm sure. But it was delicious, so Sarah, please tell your grandmother thank you, and hopefully she'll do that again. Yeah. Um, but the week before that, when I was ending our series on the Beatitudes, I had said something to the effect of, and you may remember this or not, that there's a lot of deconstructing going on in this country right now in regard to faith. And I asked people, you know, raise your hand if you have noticed that people are really critiquing and just kind of beginning to tear down some of the walls. And that can be scary. And I've heard a lot of pastors and churches say, don't do that because if you jump out of the church, you'll drown. It's like Noah's Ark and it might be messy inside, but if you get out, you'll drown. And I started to think about that. And the thing that I said that I want to talk a little bit further about tonight is if you're experiencing a deep dive or look into your faith, if you're questioning some of the things because maybe you were harmed, because you witnessed abuse in an institution that allowed it to continue and never called it out, or you witnessed someone using this Bible as a weapon to tell you this is what you need to believe because it says it in here, and if you don't believe it or think like me, then you're in danger of the fires of hell. If you've experienced some of that and you've begun to, to pull some of those bricks out of the wall, the thing that I said a couple weeks ago was, what you're critiquing is not Christianity. What you're critiquing is not Jesus. You're critiquing a cultural expression of Christianity that has existed for 50 or more years in this country called Western Evangelicism. You're not critiquing the North African Anglican Church that has existed <laughs> since shortly after Jesus said to Peter, you're my rock and I'll build my church on you. You're not critiquing the Eastern Orthodox Church in Asia that claims to be the center of Christianity for the world. You're not critiquing the Catholic Church. You're not critiquing many of the movements that have existed around this world throughout history that have caused revivals and many people to be saved. You're not critiquing that stuff. You're critiquing out of your own experience a faith that sometimes was helpful and sometimes was maybe harmful to you. And so one of the things that I don't like when people say is, I'm sorry if the church hurt you, but I want you to know that was people, that wasn't Jesus. And I used to say that to a lot of people, and what I realized in saying that was that sometimes when we use those words, we take someone's hurt that they experienced in the name of God, and we blame them for it. And we say that's been misplaced. And so here we are, all of us, messy people, who've gather, gathered on a Thursday night. Because why? I don't know. Because we want, we want to come and we want to 
worship. We want to relax. We want to experience each other and Jesus. We want to hear from the Word. But there's a reality that we would come to a weird place like this in the middle of the Edison because somewhere along the lines, our church experience has been just off enough or just hurtful enough or just weird enough that we're like, okay, we'll try this. And out of that messiness and us trying to say, let's relook at this and let's see what Jesus is up to. And then let's just simply try to be about what Jesus was up to. We see a park beautified and renovated on his park where there used to be guns and violence and fires. And we see Rachel move into her home and own a home and be leasing a home, moving towards owning a home for the first time. We've got to be part of that. We see the, a chess club working with youth and training them to get involved in strategic things with their lives instead of gun violence and drug abuse in this very neighborhood. We see a little library that's emptied out every week that Heidi keeps filled so that families have access to new and fresh reading material. We, we start to see an empowering presence take shape because we're asking the question, what would it look like for us as a church to try to look like Jesus? We're not necessarily asking the question, what would it look like for me as a person to try to look like Jesus? We're asking the question, what would it look like for us as a community to try to look like Jesus. It's not bad to ask the question, what would it look like for me to look like Jesus with my life? But that's a sermon we've all heard a hundred million times over. And so the question we ask that is a little different is what does it look like for us as a church, as a group of people who gather and sing some songs and read out of the Word of God together, what does it look like for us to be a church that looks like Jesus. So, pre-sermon, actual sermon, which I hope is a lot shorter, but sometimes I get rambly. If you look at any world religion, Muslim, Baha'i, Hindu, Mormon, just list them, you're going to find that each of those religions has a holy book. And that that book is viewed as magical. And that that book is used in that religion, no matter how long ago it was written, to tell people how to live their lives in their current context. And so, Islamic faith, Baha'i faith, Hindu faith, Buddhist, like all of it, if somebody has a question, everybody runs back to the book and they say, well, what does it say about this? And the book has all of the answers for how people are supposed to live their lives and engage their lives. Now, Christianity adopted that style, not from Jesus, but from other traditions that were text-driven. That's the word we use, text-driven. Our religion centers around this book. If you walk into a devout Muslim house, you will see the Quran set raised on a platform in the living room, and it will be kind of untouchable. It might be opened on a specific holiday, but it itself 
houses something that is above and beyond and everything in that is supposed to drive everything you do, which means the Koran can be weaponized. I can use the Koran to defend my life. I can use the Koran to condemn someone else. But the whole religion is set up that way, and most world religions are. If we approach our faith as Christians in the same way, then we hold this Bible and we say, well, what does it say about this thing? I know it was written thousands of years ago, but what does it say about um, motorcycles? Let me look up what it says about motorcycles and then I'll know. And all of a sudden we start using this book to prove what I think to be true. And then I look it up and I find a verse that matches with what I think. And all of a sudden I'm using it to make myself gain power whether it be in a conversation or in a church or with a group of people or even in politics. And here's what the Bible itself has to say about that. I've said before that when we are dealing with the Bible, we're dealing with the lowercase word of God that is written and intended to walk us toward Jesus, who's the capital W word of God, what God has to say. That kid is pumped about what I'm saying. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's this little verse that pops out. Because Paul is writing letters to the Corinthians. In this Bible, we have 1 and 2 Corinthians. He wrote to these people. He's trying to get them to get their act together and be a church in a city that desperately needs to see people love Jesus, but they're so tied into power and control that they're not listening to him. He actually wrote like three or four letters to the Corinthians and only two of them made it (laughs) into the Bible. And in one of these books, he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, or verse 2, he says, You yourselves or our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This, friends, is the basis of our faith. I'm not going to go into a big explanation of 2 Corinthians, but I'm going to say this before we worship together. Because it's important to know why we're worshiping, why we're singing, why we're praying, why we're helping people own homes, why we're beautifying parks, why we're doing gun violence initiatives, why we're spending all of our time and energy and resources on things other than building up our own big building and sound systems and things like that. There's a reason for it. And the reason for it is we are not a text-driven faith. This is not our answer book. This book, this library of books, has, has done nothing more than lead us toward Jesus. It's shown us the path that Israel took to Jesus. It's shown us the path that the disciples took to Jesus. It's shown us the path that many others throughout history have taken to find Jesus, the capital W Word of God. And Jesus is what God has to say. And now we are the letter from God. And the words of God have been written on our hearts and our flesh. 
so that when we go out into this world, we are a representation of Jesus. And Paul makes it very clear. You are a letter from Christ, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And when people meet us and they see us and they watch us, they are reading us. Because the words that have been written on us are written by God. And what God has to say is Jesus. And if we want to show who Jesus is, we open this up and we let it lead us to Christ. And we read the red letters and we see how Jesus was living, and we see what Jesus was doing, and we notice that He conquered death, and that He found those who were set aside and cast out, and He spent His life with them, restoring them and lifting them up. And if we are a letter from God with Christ written on our hearts, then we are not a text-driven religion. We're a Jesus-driven religion. We're a Jesus-driven people. And the life of Jesus indwells in us so much that everything we do then breathes those words and that life onto other people. It changes the way we live our lives. And it changes the way we do this thing called church. And it changes the way we engage in relationships that when I realize that when I encounter you, you're encountering the words of God that have been written on my heart and that I have work to do because of that. And it is to represent who Jesus is and how Jesus is and why Jesus is who Jesus is to you. And so we have some very, very feeble attempts at that. Help someone who's never owned a home own a home. Beautify a space that was riddled with gun violence and watch it slowly fade away. Encounter someone on the street just through walking around and engage with a person who hasn't been prayed with in years or hasn't been listened to in years and pour yourself into that person. Fill a little library with books so that families who don't have access to the newest cool reads can now find them there. And if we think about it, they're all feeble. They're all broken. They're not perfect. They don't accomplish it all. They don't make the earth new like God promised He was going to make the earth new. But what they do is they cause us to recognize that we can attempt to be part of what God is up to in this world if we would recognize that we're not here to just read this and tell everybody else what to think. We're here to be written on so that we can show everybody else what God has to say by how we live and how we do church. That's why we're here on a Thursday night. Some of us were fed up with anything else, and some of us just want to be part of something good, and some of us didn't know what else to do, and so we find ourselves here. Call it coincidence, call it friendship, call it community, call it whatever you want. But what we learn in this space is not, let me tell you what the Bible says about Republicans. Let me tell you what the Bible says about this new movement that came out last week. 
What we learn is that, let me tell you what the Bible says about Jesus. And what the Bible says about Jesus is that we are his letter. And that he's written his words on our heart. And if we can be intentional with that, we can be actual, literal, practical, and supernatural change agents in this world. That's what I think the mayor saw when he cried in the living room of Rachel's new home. That's what I think Community Homework saw when they brought Rachel flowers and said, welcome to the neighborhood, we're glad you're here. That's what I think the neighbor across the street from the park saw when she came and said to me, thank you so much for, for doing this for our neighborhood. Now it feels like a neighborhood. Because that's what Jesus is up to. And that's the work we're trying to be about. So when we worship and when we pray together tonight, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he's the author because he's written it on us. And may, when other people read us, may they read the gospel of who God is and how much he loves and sees them, no matter where they're at. So, Father, thank you that we can be here together. Thank you for these little kids running around learning to like church, not being shushed and told to shut up and sit still, but thank you that this is a place where everyone is welcome and that we can learn what it means to represent you and to worship you and to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.